0: Welcome, everyone, to the third episode of the Sid Amar Show. If you haven't already, make sure you check out the first two episodes available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. My YouTube channel is at Sid 316. Make sure you subscribe to stay updated with the latest episodes. This is also my handle on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so make sure you follow me. Today's guest is none other than Mr. Ali Haimur. Ali, like myself, is a member of the Lebanese community in Edmonton and also has a deep interest in local politics, Canada's future, and the political trajectory of this nation. I invited Ali to join us today for a discussion on his political journey, his most recent campaign and experiences, as well as his overall outlook on what is going on today. You may know Ali if you are in Northside Edmonton and follow local politics. Ali's most recent adventure had him running as the UCP candidate to become an MLA, a member of the Legislative Assembly of Alberta, representing the Edmonton Northwest riding. He didn't end up being elected as the NDP took all the ridings in Edmonton. The UCP dominated Alberta and half of Calgary, but lost all of the Edmonton races. And this is something we are going to be getting into during this podcast. So without further ado, Ali, please go ahead and introduce yourself. I'd like you to share a little bit about your background, such as where you were born and raised, your educational background, and what is it that motivates you and to keep on going in everyday life?
1: Thank you. Thank you very much, Sid. Uh You know, I thank you and your listeners for inviting me to be a guest speaker on your show. It's an honor and a privilege uh, to be here. Uh, I'll start off by telling you by way of background. uh, Like you said, I'm born and raised here in Edmonton, Alberta. And I've lived my entire life in Edmonton Northwest. Um, I uh, grew up in a family of seven. My father, God rest his soul came uh, to this country with a grade six education. He worked as a janitor for 25 years. And my mother uh, was a housewife, she didn't work. But uh, raising five kids was a job in itself and it was probably overtime every single day. And I think you can imagine uh, how difficult that was. Uh, we lived a, a humble life. We had We always had shelter over our heads, food on the table, We played sports, and every second year, we would make it uh, to Calgary, to uh, Banff uh, for a holiday. And one year, we made it to Kelowna, in fact. Throughout my life, I was able to uh, complete a Bachelor of Arts degree. I joined the military for five years, got married, and had three kids. I've been working as an Alberta sheriff with the Alberta government for the last... 23 years, and uh, when I compare my dad's time to my time, even though I had a higher education than he did, even though I made more money than he did, and even though I had less mouths to feed than he did, I feel like we're struggling more in our time than they did in their time.
0: I know what you mean.
1: You know? And um, that was part of the reason why, leading to politics. Uh, that was part of the reason why I I, I wanted to run, because I can tell you for the first time, in all of Canadian history, this current in, this current uh, generation is worse off than their parents.
0: And I totally agree with you on that matter, <clears throat> and that leads me because I wanted to ask you how you feel society has changed between when you were growing up and now, obviously it's worse. I mean, if if we're honest about it, it's not as good as it used to be in the past. And, you know, recently I've been feeling quite nostalgic about the past. I keep thinking about, you know, I grew up in the nineties and I felt they were a far better time, you know, not only for school, but for family, for, uh, for relations. I mean, even politics were not as intense as, as they are nowadays. It just was overall, a much healthier environment. How do you feel society has changed between when you were growing up and now? Oh,
1: well, there's been a uh, a drastic shift in social change uh, in society, I'll tell you. Uh, when we were growing up, there was more of that community lifestyle. Yeah, you know, and that's what uh, I'm
0: talking about. Yeah.
1: yeah uh, you know, you never saw homeless to this uh, extent. Back in our day, it Was the uh, we used to call them the happy drunk. The person who just, I chose to live like this, just leave me alone, you know? And even though there was <laughs> alternatives and choices you, you, you could have made and, and um, opportunities, if you wanted shelter, if you wanted housing, everything was available growing up, like, you know? There was no, um, there was no reason why, but in today's world, it, it just seems uh, that homeless problem is a really, really big problem. Panhandling on every corner, you're seeing four lease signs popping everywhere. You know, businesses are closing and leaving. Um, Yeah, so it's a big difference for me. Crime is is also another uh, thing that I compare the past to the present. Back in our days, uh, it was way safer. Communities were safe. You could stand at a bus stop without the fear of getting harassed, you know, or uh, abused or even robbed. Uh, You used to ride your bike uh, till two o'clock in the morning, not worry, walk the streets without worry. Um, It was much safer back in my day growing up.
0: In wow. Yeah. I uh, I tell people nowadays, do not take the bus. Do not take the LRT. It's scary, man. You don't want to be on the bus or the LRT. You don't want to walk into those LRT stations. There was even a, a sporting event took place a few months ago, some sort of football sporting event. And they had advised the players, the families and the friends of the players uh, not to take Edmonton public transportation. This is, this is a big problem because... Look at how much tax money. I don't know exactly how much is going into the public transportation system, but we are spending money on it and less and less people are using it. That's a big problem, right? Um, <clears throat> to add to what you were saying, you were talking about the, you know, the amount of homeless people that you see nowadays. You never used to see this, and I agree with you. I see it almost every single where I go. Um, in your opinion, how should we be dealing with the homeless question? What is the solution?
1: Well, the homeless problem, um, you know, it's it, it, there's so many ways we can deal with it. Uh, but what saddens me first is like, you know, this problem goes back a long time during the Mandel days, and so he was um, mayor, so he was involved in that. It uh, was counselor back then too, and okay. they had a program. I think it was if you look it up, uh, hmm. memory uh, serves me well. They called it the ten-year. Uh, program that they wanted to eliminate homeless completely and they got money from the federal government provincial government and they didn't do a good job at that as you can see in today's world but this problem that we have is like we can approach this in many ways um you know first of all there's a lot of people that are homeless that from my experience come from different provinces different towns different cities and um the easiest way, if they can't find their own place, they just want to make it home and they don't have the, the means to make it home. So if we can, if someone, if there's could be a, a government assistance that says if someone wants to get go home, offer him that we can give you a one-way ticket to get to your province or to your city and uh, let them get to their, uh, this is one way getting them off our streets and sending them back home. Why? Think, why
0: are they here from other provinces? What made them come here from the other provinces? Well,
1: there's many reasons they come here, you know, exploring, you know, some uh, job opportunities, uh, you know, other up- living opportunities. Many reasons why people are here, right? But and then, they, then you go down on your times, and uh, then there's that addiction problem that we have, that may cause people to go homeless. In a lot of ways, it is one of the problems, and uh, we need more treatment centers. I can tell you personally, I remember, uh, you know, as you, like I told you, I work as a sheriff. I uh, some I brought somebody into docket court and um, this gentleman needed help. Uh, it, the judge was scratching his head saying, what do I do with you? You know, you've served your time. And if I keep you in jail, you're going to you're not going to get the help you need. And if I let you out on the streets, you're going to hurt yourself and hurt others. Meanwhile, the prosecutor and the defense are making phone calls to treatment centers trying to get him a bed. They come back before the judge and they say, sorry, sir, it's a two-year wait.
0: Wow. No,
1: unacceptable. We're building drug injection sites when we really think that we need right now is treatment centers. You know, and uh, you know what? One good approach is that we need, we, we do have resources in place. And, um, shelters are there, but the problem is shelters have rules. You know, you got to go to bed at a certain time, lights out at 11 o'clock. You can't smoke. You can't drink. You know, that's, you're supposed to go to bed, wake up in the morning, go try to find a job. It's only a temporary thing, right? But people don't like to follow those rules and they prefer to stay on the streets. So... You know and police. you have
0: a uh, you have a unique perspective because as you mentioned you're an Alberta sheriff right so um, do you see this I assume in your in your everyday work I assume you're seeing this when you're when you're out there working right
1: well if we're not seeing it we're hearing of it so yeah. we hear about you know we, we see what's going on and I drive right by it every day going to work it, you know tense City everywhere on every corner and all the parts of the city it's not just one part of the city it's in a lot of parts of the city, North, West, you know, they're everywhere.
0: They're even Almost, showing up in industrial areas, you know, one in the industrial area that I, you know, that I am, that I work in. And I'm shocked, you know, I'm starting to see, you know, people put up tents. <laughs> I've never right, seen that before.
1: <clears throat> if you look at the bus shelters, I mean, they're using that as shelter. They're using um, the, the uh, grocery carts as a, as a closet where they have their clothing and stuff like that. And and they're on their streets. Yep. Like and they're using the garbage can to, to find food. We have problems.
0: Do we you have know? statistics? And, and, it, and I'll
1: tell you with all honesty, brother. Sorry to cut you off. That's okay. It sad, it saddens me.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I I when I see that, I, I say, Oh my lord, please help my kids, help these people, help, you know. Yeah. I hope nobody goes into that predicament. It it really does. We live in a rich country, beautiful people. You know, I grew up when there was community life. People looked out for one another. You know, so this saddens me when I see this, and and we have to solve a problem. and And police do have to be more proactive, and the media has to settle down a little bit because, you know, that's part of the problem. Why, you know, when a police officer takes one step forward, he probably takes once ten steps back because of all the, all all, all the uh, media. Uh, You know, hype that comes with that right so
0: yeah i agree with you we need we need to solve the homeless uh, problem and we we want them to do better we want them to have the resources that they need it just seems that there is a conflict over over what resources to provide them like you mentioned the drug injection sites um are, are the drug injection sites really helping um from what i've from what i've seen what i've heard that might be making the problem worse
1: for many communities, I believe so. I was against it. I, I think that money should have went into uh, treatment centers. Um, you know, preventing them, giving them, uh, creating that environment, because that's what they need at the end of the day. Yeah. After they get clean, they need ongoing care. Yeah. They need yeah. the right environment to be in, because right when you leave that clinic, you know, and even if you've got your are clean, it's easily to fall back off the wagon. It really is. You know, I've served uh, a lot of time in drug court and. We saw a lot of people, um, you know, come back after they become clean clean, and uh, it's like, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but so-and-so, what happened? And they'll tell you, sorry, boss, I left off, I fell off the wagon, you know, unfortunately, and uh, he's back in the drugs. It takes that one time, the weather the people that you meet, hey, buddy, let's go out and do... And then before you know it, you're back hooked onto it again.
0: Okay, I see. Right? Are there any statistics um, that are published that you're aware of that show what percentage of the homeless population is homeless... Be, I mean, I mean, that is, you know, addicted to drugs or, you know, has become addicted to drugs? Are there any statistics in that measure? In statistics showing... Um, how much is it related to they can't find work, they can't find a job, you know, <clears throat> depression, loss of a job? Do those statistics exist for here in Edmonton?
1: You know, brother, I don't have that in front of me. It's a good question, um, but uh, there are statistics. And I, I, you know what, all those, that list that you just named, that, that that falls to each and every individual that is homeless in today's world. You know, they're suffering from poverty. Nobody wants to live outside. Yeah, Nobody does. I mean, especially in this cold weather. And these temporary fixed where they open up hotels and, and the city pays for them, or the agricom, uh or the stadium, and, and people, you know, they put out cots and stuff. That's a temporary thing during cold weather, but then they're back on the streets. Yeah. And I think you got to look at things like, you know, fires in the city. How, if people are outside and it's cold, how do they keep warm? Yeah. They start many fires, right? Which can also spread to houses and, and other businesses and buildings. And in the latest little while, Nothing but fires. <clears in there. throat> you can see the fire department is really, really busy. Yeah, uh, They also have to feed themselves. So uh, a lot of people are resorting to theft, unfortunately, and robbery and, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, they have to keep warm. So the uh, bus shelters doesn't do it. Sometimes they have to go into they find some deserted house and break into it and, you know, just to keep warm. Uh, it's like they're in survival mode, right? Yeah. So they do what they have to do. Yeah but it's a problem for politicians all three levels of government to start taking care and 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 taking it, paying attention to this because it's a growing problem
0: yeah
1: you know uh, instead of you you'll hear that our federal government sends money abroad they help every other country we send millions, except, of, dollars
0: except, country, uh, except millions of dollars
1: to this country you know what i mean yeah. it's like okay i think it's time to start helping our own people here
0: Maybe we should put a, a ban on all this foreign spending for maybe five years and spend all the money inside the country. That would really help. I, I know, I I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the local city government and the Alberta government are trying to work together to help deal with this issue. But is the federal government involved at all in helping to address this?
1: Well, I mean, I'm sure at every uh, there, to some extent everybody's involved. What I'm saying, it's going to take more involvement. Yeah. And and uh, I, I think it, it should go to the the top of the priority list for all levels of government is what I'm trying to say, brother. Yeah. I, I know you want to get to the stats in the nitty gritty. Unfortunately, I you know I'm not prepared to show you. Well, this is happening, and this you know this is these yeah. are the stats. No but problem. We can talk. And generally, I think everybody, uh, a lot of people would agree, that it is a problem that it's now time to address. They agree. You know? and, and instead of you know. Uh, it should go to the top of the list of the priority list. You know, yeah. This is a priority right now. We have to take care of this problem. And I don't know, instead of sending, I don't know, 10 million to this country, maybe send 8 million, give a couple of million here to build a couple of houses and stuff
0: like yeah. that. Uh, Ali, you mentioned uh, <clears throat> that you're an Alberta sheriff. Uh, how long have you been in the profession? Uh,
1: over 20 years, uh, 20 years, well, 22 years now.
0: Yeah. What is that line of uh, of work like? Um can you tell us a little bit about your experiences?
1: The Alberta Sheriffs. I'm a proud member of the Alberta Sheriffs. Uh the Alberta Sheriffs have uh has been established and uh uh formed by many agencies, uh, people from many agencies. For example, military police, RCMP, Edmonton Police, Calgary Police, probation, um there's people from uh EMS uh, you know I don't want to miss anybody. But there, we've got so much uh, skills and talent from various law enforcement agencies who built the Alberta sheriffs and then what they are today. and it and it, uh, it saddens me because I am a hundred and ten percent for and and I, I ran on this uh, on my platform for many times uh, during the municipal election and the provincial election, uh, a provincial police force. And at the municipal level, I I I, I ran at uh, empowering more peace officers, give them more powers, right, to help out Edmonton police. I, there's a lot of professionalism. And, uh, you know, I, I think they just need the chance and opportunity to um, help fight crime, you know, uh, if they... And it comes down to the lawmakers to give them that, and they're not. And that, that's where the problem lies. Like, in the past... It, it, year or so we've seen increasing uh they've been increasing their powers more and more uh, as you saw you know uh, this provincial government uh, recently mm-hmm. giving powers for alberta sheriffs to help patrol the downtown edmonton downtown in calgary mm-hmm. downtown right to, with yeah with the edmonton police that should have happened a long time ago
0: because before i assume uh, at eps had the authority to patrol Edmonton downtown, Alberta sheriffs, did they have that, they never had that ability in the past? That
1: wasn't part of our jurisdiction, brother. You see what we're trying, uh, this is the, on a policeman's scale, a policeman gives tickets all the way to murder cases. Well, this part of the scale where there's B&Es, robberies, murders, has grown dramatically in our uh, province. So the idea of starting the Alberta sheriffs at this end of the scale is to relieve police officers and throw them on this end of the scale where they're more serious crimes and let them do more of the uh, policing oh, while yeah. the Alberta sheriffs relieves them uh, from duties like uh, traffic violations. And we did. I think it's been close to 18 years now. Uh, we started off with a six-man pilot project. Uh, where we took over doing highway patrolling for tr- only traffic violations, and in the late in the last eighteen years, brother, we've helped keep those highways safe, gained some revenue, and we've done a great job. When they first gave it to us, the RCMP lobbied against it. Oh no, these guys can't have it. They don't. Uh, they don't have the skills or the training, it's like they're doing now with the provincial policing. They did a very good public. Uh, uh you know publicity where they went out and and people like the mayor of, of St. Albert helped them out and and uh they changed uh, public opinion uh by saying things like do you know how much it is to start a provincial police force? Well it's already started. Yeah. Like you got Alberta sheriffs, you've got peace officers, you've got uh fish and wildlife, so many people and in, in bylaw officers, you've got people with lights and sirens and training uh, that you can empower them to help out police forces, right? To do yeah. more
0: Yeah. And fight crime.
1: You know, we could clean up our city without yeah. asking the taxpayers. We need more money. To uh, um, we need more money to put more policing on the road. Yeah. You see, brother, I'll, I'll, there's one more point I'd like to also uh, point out, and that is I've been there long enough to see. When I first got in there, I saw the old generation of policing and police officers and their background was like grade 12 Um, some of them had you know some college uh, and some of them had grade 11 i I caught that generation and there's still some that at the management level still sitting behind the desks collecting two three hundred thousand dollars you know don't want to see any change too stubborn to make changes but i have also fortunate enough to see the new generation getting into the law enforcement agencies, and they have PhDs, master degrees, undergraduate degrees, very well-educated generation. It's time to eliminate some of this top-heavy stuff, use that money, empower frontline workers, and let them service Albertans. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I I I totally know what you mean. Yeah,
0: yeah, but it it also reminds me of uh, of what's going on in in the healthcare industry. Uh, Too many people uh, at the top with the old thinking and old ways. You know, don't really want to want to switch to the new ways, and I I believe that's part of the problem in our healthcare system. But Ali, I wanted to say uh, thank you very much for your service. Your service as an Alberta sheriff, and, and your your service as a man in uniform people may not know that you've also served in the military i'm not sure if you mentioned that in the beginning but thank you for your service you know in in the military in the canadian military um how long did you serve and, and how was how was your role what was your role
1: well i made it to corporal uh and uh, um i served for about uh, five years uh you,
0: can you explain to us what that is, like a corporal compared to a regular soldier? What the, the ranking?
1: Oh, a corporal is like, um, it's a it's a rank system, right? But uh, you start off as a trooper, then you, you, you do a couple of courses more, and then you move up to second level, which is corporal. Third level would be master corporal and so on and sergeant, then you move up that rank system. But uh, it, I felt that it wasn't for me, but it, I would recommend it for my own kids and every other kid to join the military. I, I really believe in it. it uh, you see, for me, I was one of those kids that were, you know, uh, Mr. Macho, tough guys and stuff like that when I first started. So I, when I went in there, uh, I, uh, I remember that I ran into an incident. And um, there was a sergeant, he was a little bit shorter than me, and he looked at me and he gave me this look. And I said, What is what the hell are you looking at? Like, you know? Yeah. And then all of a sudden I uh, the master corporal and the sergeants and the warrant officer and captain, get on the floor. You do push-ups, get down there right now. And they started yelling at me. And I uh was pulled into the um one of the officers uh back then. It was we're talking about 27 years ago, right? So I was pulled into the officer's office. And he, he said to me, he explained to me, Ali, you're not. It's not you're saluting the person or respecting the person. It's the rank. Now I left that office, not still didn't understand what he was saying to me. So when I went to do my uh, QL4, and that is to get your corporal level, uh, part of the bit is is a you, you got to. Um, sleep outside for uh, in the trenches for a couple of days. It was really cold. I think it was like 26 below or something like that. And I was saying to myself, what the hell am I doing here? And uh, you'd be like in, uh, they'd be simulating war, right? So uh, you'd be in like uh, somewhat of a little bit of a combat, right? Uh, A playful combat. And um, then you would finish off by, with a rucksack, uh, you know, both, 50-pound rucksack on your back, and you'd have to walk 13 kilometers or something like that. And you, you got to understand, like, you're hallucinating. No sleep for a couple of days, no food. It, it's one of those, they really, really put you through a lot of training. And as I was completing that, I realized what he meant. I woke up to it. I said, wow, this is what the what the officer meant, that I deserve my respect because not many people can do that, can complete that level, Right. And we did. I saw people fall out. Uh, They couldn't complete it. They had to take them in an ambulance. And uh, yeah, when I got, uh, you know, to the other side and while doing that type of training, I I realized what they meant by that, that, you know, the rank, you completed something that many people haven't completed and you do deserve that respect. So uh, it's a lesson learned for me.
0: Yeah. You know, I've often heard that, uh, I've always been proud of the Canadian military ever since I was, You know i i was a young kid i always used to go on the website of the canadian military you know see what the military is capable of i always you know i always heard that the canadian soldiers are amongst amongst the best trained soldiers in the world right and i actually do feel that they deserve more support and and we should have you know better resources right we're we're not as large as we were during the second world war you know what i mean i i believe we had what was it the fourth largest navy in the world at that time you know for a country as big as canada i you know maybe we need some more resources in the in the military what would you say about that
1: i agree i couldn't agree more brother i mean going back to federal government and, and priorities you know um you you know where this world is going it's a it's on the verge of a world war you never know. And that's
0: scary. Occur. That is you scary.
1: And, yeah. and you know what? Which country is vulnerable right now? Ours. Yeah. You have to now protect the people of Canada, the resources of Canada. You know, this is a country that you have to protect. And how do you do that? you got to make sure your military has all the resources to protect us. And, you know, all these cutbacks on the military and and they, they, they did because they don't. They don't have the proper resources, unfortunately. You know, so, yeah, the federal government, I'll tell you, they have to get they have to look at their priorities. And uh, I don't know who's running in the next election, but um, these are these are the questions I'm going to be asking my MP candidates. So.
0: Yeah, well, I I really hope we can get a conservative majority uh, back in and, you know, we can start supporting our military a little bit better. Um, Ali, I wanted to ask you, what's your philosophical inspiration what is it that motivated you to get heavily involved in politics i know that politics is a passion of yours what is it what's your what's your ultimate motivator to be in this industry
1: well i explained like as i started explaining part of the re- part one of my reasons and the, i would say primary reasons is the way we're living like i was telling you at the beginning when i compared the past to the present i can foresee the future right if we stay on this path that we're on and i have children so I, I would like to, I got involved in order to change the system, make life more easier for everybody. Because right now I, I can see stress in everybody's eyes. It's just, you know, cost of living. We just finished off with the pandemic. The world issues that are going around, um, you know, uh, the cost of living just keeps increasing. So many things that are going on that we have to restructure, like you just said, um, many of these departments when it comes to policing, when it comes to health care. You know uh, and we were talked about federal government what another thing that the federal government has to you know uh, try to do is start to manufacture some consumer goods right here in our country it's time we go back to that instead of relying on China and India and made other, in Canada you know ma- you know because it's not cheaper anymore yep. and you, you you saw it during the pandemic rushed to for the for the toilet paper <laughs> you remember that I mean, that oh, was
0: that was ridiculous. And you know what? Uh, honestly, I blamed, I blamed the media hype for a lot of that because when I was in the stores, I would talk to the people that are working in the stores, and they told me, you know, there's a few factories here in Alberta that produce the toilet paper and whatever. There really is no shortage, but the media was scaring people so much that people were running to the stores, buying up all the toilet paper, and that's why the stores started implementing you can take a maximum of one or two. But the media scared people. People went. They bought everything. And then there was a shortage because during the pandemic, Alberta's population didn't like double and triple. You know what I mean? It's it's roughly the same population over the two-year period. There there should logically be no shortage of, ta- of toilet paper. You know what I mean? The population didn't grow. It's, it's part of it is fear-mongering. And then people got scared. They rushed to the stores and bought everything they can buy up because there is no logical reasoning. It's not like our population doubled and all of a sudden we have a shortage. You know what I mean? Too much demand and not enough supply. It just didn't make sense.
1: Brother, I, I think maybe the toilet paper was a bad example. I, I I just want you to, if you can recall, the children's time and all
0: and Oh, I time remember there. that. Yeah.
1: Okay, so uh, there was nothing. There's nothing on the shelves. Yeah. Right, and and just, yeah. and I know you just had a child. You know, um, congratulations. Thanks. But brother. for people who have children and they were going through that illness and sick and hearing the yeah. kids, you know, crying, yeah. and you'd go to the drugstore. And there was absolutely no children's Tylenol.
0: Yeah, I remember that. Yeah,
1: or Advil, you know. So and, and I think you know the rest of the story where they had to go to Turkey and they bought a whole bunch and
0: yes, and it I took remember that. to get
1: back here and yeah. I think it was eighty million dollars or something like that. Yeah. But it, you know, I would hate for for that to happen. You know, we went through a pandemic. Can you imagine during a world war what would happen? It would disrupt all sources, uh, yeah. you know, of of uh, manufactured goods coming into yeah.
0: not not just Tylenol. Yeah,
1: exactly. Everything. So. It, Right now, it's time that the federal government changes once again. Another priority: let's start manufacturing our goods right here. You know, oil—it's not cheaper to get it from Saudi Arabia anymore. Yeah, Ontario and and and, uh, and the other eastern provinces get it from Alberta. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah,
0: we need to do let's, a better job supporting Alberta's oil industry. But it seems the govern the federal government's priorities right now don't seem to align. With oil and gas production in Alberta, what's your take on that?
1: Well, you know, it's uh, I'm not going to blame one one level of government. I think it takes all levels of government to to cooperate and and uh, collaborate. But common sense has to prevail here. It like, once again, it's not cheaper. You know, John A. Macdonald, our first prime minister, he united our our country through the project of the railway. And he went from province to province to to sell this and promote it and and, and convince and persuade other provinces to jump on board. you don't, do you think it, it was one time that he did it? It took several and many times that he had to go back to the drawing table and go back with another offer and come back you know and and, and uh, try, try to persuade them again we have to our, our politicians have to sit on the table and if it didn't work the first time you keep trying and trying until we get all everybody on board you know uh, how many times do you hear that uh, jason Kenney flew over to the united states or rachel notley when she was uh, you know premier yeah. during her time she would be going over to the united states trying to beg obama please buy our oil please get the xl yeah. pipeline okay. going right these are yeah. things that they try to do well maybe start right here you know why yeah. Other provinces are buying from from other countries, Venezuela, Saudi Arabia. When we have oil right here, yeah, yeah. right. So they I don't should know.
0: be buying Alberta oil.
1: Yeah, well, and, and I'm telling you, it, it's not the '40s anymore. The 1940s. Yeah, it,
0: it
1: it was cheaper cheaper back then to get it from there, maybe. Yeah. But now things have changed, and I would revisit that uh, those those numbers again, and I think you'll find that it'd be worthwhile buying from Alberta.
0: I remember taking a a course like 15 years ago and being told that, you know, there is the belief that Alberta itself has more oil than even in in Saudi Arabia. It's just, you know, a little bit more difficult to recover because of the the oil sands. But apparently, you know, we may have more oil than anywhere else.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we have, I don't know, supply of 500 years of it, so.
0: Ali, you mentioned uh, the media a while back. Um, what's your opinion on the role of the media? Uh, has the role of the mainstream media become more positive or more negative over the years? And, and how do we overcome that?
1: Well, I mean, it, you know, media is supposed to be our source of information. You know, we, we the people rely on it. And, uh, you know, growing up, Everything the media said, we believed right away, you know. But now, you know, with social media, uh, counter, countering what media, mainstream media is saying, and showing, you know, other um, news and stuff like that, people are now doubting their media. And uh, I can tell you personally, um, I re- I recall just in this last election, I was uh, invited to uh, stand behind Danielle Smith as she was making a public safety announcement. And while standing behind her and she was speaking and she was saying, you know, uh, making that big announcement on how we're going to fight crime uh, in the next four years. When they laid the the, the media, that gave a chance for the media to ask questions. I go, here it goes. Okay, they're going to ask, um, you know, uh, are the Alberta sheriffs um, uh, have the proper training? Uh, where are you going to get the money from? I, I don't know. You know, come up with questions like that. Something to what she was saying. They didn't even ask one question.
0: I remember that I watched that. You did? Yeah, I okay, did watch good. that.
1: So you 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 know what I'm trying to yeah. say, right? Yeah. Like I was standing there, like, okay. Uh, the questions they, they, had
0: nothing to do with what you guys were talking about. Nothing <laughs> to
1: do with what we were doing. What we were there for? They it was like a a point. It was an advantage point for them to uh, say, "Oh, uh, you said this and this during your radio time. Uh, something about Nazis or something like that." I can't remember what what was said back then, but. Uh, it had nothing to do with public safety yeah like really so you know you're supposed to be our source of information now you're our source of misinformation and don't don't kid yourself brother. Uh, honestly they have a big influence on how people voted yeah and and the results of the election
0: oh yeah I'm fully I was I, that.
1: I I saw victims of media on the you saw me on the you were with me you, yeah your doctor doors with me right yeah so we, we you heard it yeah, you know, people were just reiterating what was. It was said. all media
0: talking points. Every it was single all media, heard,
1: yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Talking points. That's all it was. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you, you'd say, "Oh, she's going to." Um. Uh. They were talking about Daniel Smith. I'll never vote for you guys. You guys are going to privatize healthcare.
0: Yeah, that's what I heard too, because and I, I never heard anything about privatizing healthcare or or whatever, but I heard that as well.
1: Brother, the point is she's in power now. Yeah. Has she privatized it? No. Is she going? We'll see. We'll wait till the four years go. Yeah. Right? I had people phoning me saying, oh, she's going to cut our disability checks, right? I go, no. Who told you that? Yeah. You know, and that's how the NDP and the media were painting the the conservatives. And, you know, this just didn't happen to Danielle's time. If you go back in the other election, the previous election, Jason Kenney, and uh, do you remember during his time... Um, the RCMP investigation. Oh, he's too corrupted. He's this, he's that. I'm not a fan of Jason Kenney. I'll I'll be upfront. Like, I I don't like his politics, right? But he also had to go through that, uh, the media um, uh, misinformation too. So uh, it just seems like they vilify whatever conservative leader comes into power.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and when I... I lost faith in the media probably I think it was about 22 years ago over the whole war in Iraq thing that experience what I saw you know you know Iraq uh, allegedly has you know weapons of mass destruction and nuclear weapons and chemical weapons and it's been over 20 years and there has not been a shred of evidence uh produced I remember that very clearly I was still in university I think it was 2003 and at that point, I told myself, you know, you can never trust anything that the media says. They outright, completely lied about this war. How can you trust anything else that they that they talk about? Uh, Ali, since you uh, you mentioned the the recent race you did run, as I mentioned in the beginning, to become an MLA, you were representing the United Conservative Party in the Edmonton Northwest riding. Um, would you like to go ahead and share some of your experiences specifically? Why did the UCP fail? Because in Edmonton, they didn't win any seats. They won half of Calgary and they won the entirety of Alberta. So rural voters, you know, vote UCP. But what is it about Edmonton and in general about the race? Feel free.
1: Well, you know, there are many reasons uh, why uh, y- y- you you don't uh, win an election but Edmonton in particular um went to NDP uh you could say for reasons like uh, uh you know fear fear played a big role uh fear-mongering um there was also there also like media played a big role on Edmontonians uh you know the impact of of fear and media both together it, it has a great impact on how people act and how people vote and for years and years uh, the NDP have been painting the conservatives as anti-women anti-labor anti-Muslim anti-LGBQT anti- you know the list goes on and on Black Lives Matter
0: anti, anti-environment and the environment right uh,
1: you know and we we we're seeing the effects of that now you know uh listen you know during the election you you turn on the tv and you would hear uh you know very biased reporting from from the media uh they would be uh, every guest speaker that they bring on were bashing the conservatives and, it was, and you can tell by the two guest speakers that were supposed to you know give two perspectives, they were online with the same perspectives. And this person would say, I agree with my friend. And the other person would say, I'd agree with my friend. And they both agreed that the conservatives are no good. Uh, when you op- look at your phone, you'll find social media articles from Alberta Progress, Friends of Medicare, um, uh, Alberta Politics, uh, all liberal and NDP propaganda. When you walk in your neighborhoods, for God's sakes, you'll see signs. Uh, Stop the cuts on education. Stop the cuts on health care. You know, these union signs that you see on lawns. It yeah, seems like everywhere that. you go, it's all like uh, conservative, anti-conservative propaganda. And um, unfortunately, we saw the results of that, uh, that type of uh, propaganda and, and in the last election, and people voted a certain way. So uh, well, I don't know the, the solution to that is is that we have to now come up with a good outreach program. We got to go back to these uh, groups and these communities and these associations and start talking to them.
0: You know, agreed. They, uh, I think the you know? UCP needs a <clears throat> better and more uh, public outreach program and, and even better uh, public relations uh, strategies as well.
1: Yeah, brother, we we got to go and meet with them, inform them, and also listen to them. Yeah, both, and and then take back that feedback back to the politicians and say, listen, these, these this is what people are saying, and hopefully they can you know make future decisions to help uh, communities become better and cater to their needs.
0: Uh, Ali, what's your since we're talking about the media, um, what's your opinion about uh, the CBC? Like, there's an effort federally, I believe, by the conservative. Party to to eliminate funding to the CBC, right? Um, while the Liberals seem to want to continue to support the CBC, what's what's your viewpoint on CBC and public money going into it?
1: Well, uh, the public money, I'm okay with public money going into it, but with with strong conditions that you know they got to change, restructure the way they report and and strategy, uh, you know, strategize where they're just giving good facts. People want to hear the facts. You know, uh, I'm willing to pay more money into in the media if they were to be doing the proper reporting. You know, and just let me know what's going on in the world. Like you just said, and... and, and just and, be
0: honest, yeah.
1: Be honest. Just give yeah. me the facts. The Iraq war. Like, you know, I'm Muslim, brother. yeah, And I'm a proud Muslim. And I'll tell you, as Muslim citizens in our country, we went through a really tough time. We still are. You know, uh, I don't blame the person who's mistreating us that way. I'm blaming media. They're they're just misinformed about us. You know, I I remember when I was door knocking um, uh, (laughs) this one I'll never forget. Uh, A nice lady came up to the door and said, what are you going to do about the Muslims? I said, Muslims? Yeah, they're coming into our country, taking over our country. And I said, I I don't know. I mean, I I don't think there's a Muslim conspiracy to take over Canada. We're only maybe 1% of the population here. Like, where, where are you going? And then she was reading in my pamphlet and she saw my name, Ali, and she goes, Hey, wait a minute. You're Muslim. And I go, Yes, I am. She goes, Oh, I'll never vote for you. Slam <laughs> the door in my face. Uh, so it was like, uh, you know, I, I don't blame her. I blame the media and, and 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 the stuff that she's been hearing, you know, from abroad, uh, from all sources and from, you know, people that, you know, Muslims are this and this. She just doesn't know, but they got to stop that bad reporting.
0: You know, yeah.
1: yeah, I know you want to create controversy and you got to sell papers and stories and stuff like that, but don't fabricate it.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Tell we do need a, a more independent media. And I, I really hope I actually hope the current UCP government will look into the role of the media, because like it seems like a lot of the media is, is very left of center, right? Left wing. They have a certain agenda, certain priority. Um, we do need more types of alternative media, and like you mentioned, you know what your uh, social media has become a competition. I mean, Elon Musk recently bought Twitter, and you know now Twitter seems to be under under attack as well because it's allowing more and more viewpoints that are not considered uh, mainstream. So I think that the role of the media in general needs to be looked at because if you're not properly informed and listen, the media shouldn't be telling people what to think. They should just, like you're saying, just give people the bare facts, give them the information. And our citizens are smart enough, you know, with the proper information to make the proper decisions. 100%.
1: Oh, 100%. Brother, I can, I've been watching Al Jazeera, Chinese media, BBC, you know, alternative media sources. Yeah. And when I compare it to the um, you know, the western type of media, it's a big difference. Yeah. Big difference. Even in the reporting style. Yeah. I'm finding even the the anchormen are just like over dramatic and oh my god and they're like they're they're uh They're going through a war scene or whatever. This is what's going to happen. Especially
0: here in the West. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're
1: you're Lebanese and I'm Lebanese, right? So when we're watching the media, it's like, oh my God, Lebanon is gone. It's destroyed, right? You know, during, you know, it's been in what, 40, 50 years of war now? Yeah. Uh, But when you talk to the people over there, it's like, uh, no, we don't see a thing here. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right? No, man,
0: I'm proud Lebanese and, and Lebanon is resilient. I mean, it's it's unfortunate what Lebanon has had to endure over the years, but we are, we do have a resilient country back in Lebanon, and people still go there at record pace. People are there all the time visiting from here. So, number I I believe Lebanon is is one of the highest countries in terms of remittances, in terms of money being sent back into uh, in, into Lebanon. People still, you know, that are of Lebanese descent still love that country, and we're resilient. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And we have a lot to contribute here in Canada. We're proud Canadian citizens. We run businesses and, you know, we, we pay our taxes and we get out there and we try to get involved in politics. I mean, hopefully Lebanese community can get a little bit more involved. But, you know, we are a resilient yeah, they, people.
1: They've uh, definitely contributed in building Canada. Yeah. We've got lawyers now, teachers, uh, doctors. Lawyers, teachers, doctors. Yeah, you know, all policemen. Yeah. We've got in all industries, and we're we're part of the system now, yeah. and we're uh, you know so yeah no they've done their work well and like you said they still haven't forgotten a lot of people go back to Lebanon and help out and yeah uh, visit their hometown home country and uh, so yeah they're very resilient I would agree with you
0: <laughs> Ali um what um how wh- how important is faith to you and and what role should faith and religion in general, play in our political outlook, and I've always had the sense. Uh, I've always believed that when when the Muslim community and the Christian community get together, and in all the subgroups that fall within the Christian and Muslim community, I've always felt that when they get together, if they get together, and it seems like they're starting to work together closer as we move forward into the future. It, you know, it seems like that will be that will be better for our nation. And we can push our nation in a more positive direction. In your opinion, how important is faith in the political outlook of this nation? I mean, the Constitution in Canada does mention supremacy of God. It's directly written in the Constitution. And anybody who takes a citizenship test will know that because that's mentioned in there. But it seems everything we do, we're kind of moving away from you know, a godly uh, outlook. So please go ahead and share your point of view on that.
1: Uh, Well, I I would say, you know, faith is a very important factor uh, for me, and and I believe it should be in our system. In fact, I believe that, um, like you said, uh, our constitution is based on Judeo-Christian ethics, right? So the the values and principles of that constitution falls back to religion and faith. And uh, the founding fathers that, that came here you know, they, yes, they came to explore for money and stuff like that, but they also built this country based on faith. They came to spread their faith. You know, uh, the schools that you see now, St. Basil's, St. Peter's, these are all, you know, Miss Accordia Hospital, um, Grey Nuns. You know, these are institutions that are built by Christian institutions that, you know, back in the olden days that believed in faith. Their actions were guided by faith, they were here to serve God. And we had the greatest country in the world. I I really, I I believe so.
0: I remember Canada was rated number one country by the UN for many, many years, and it's it's no longer on that list.
1: Yeah, so when the secular system came in and took over, that's when we started going down in those ratings. And I really believe that faith, and, and this is a Muslim talking by the way, I'm a Muslim, and uh, I'm proud of our Christian brothers and sisters who came here and built this country, because they built it the right way, you know. And uh, I, I I do think that uh, all the monotheistic religions, and uh, the, the, uh, the 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 uh, um, the churches, the mosques, the um, the synagogues have a role to play in our society, like they did back in the olden days. Right, and they should be working closely with government, brother. uh, You know, even the American system. uh, I I truly believe that separation of powers that you see today within the American system is a concept that came from religion. God anointed kings and prophets. The king would not make a decision until he consults with the prophet. Prophet, right? So, I mean, it's working together, right? And that's what makes a great nation. You know, I I do believe that there's a... a, I believe in science. I really do. And I think faith and science go hand in hand. God is the creator. People are inventors. He creates things. We invent things. So we take that creation and we invent it, right? But with climate change today, I I, I do believe God controls the climate and um, everything's in his hands. So... um, I don't know. Uh, we have to change our ways in this world, and um, I don't think charging for plastic bags is. Oh my uh, god! You know uh, That's recent that recent going- city
0: bylaw. The yeah. feedback I've been getting from businesses is very negative. They don't want to do it. Like you go to a drive-through and they and, and they they give you have to hold everything individually. You know, um, businesses don't do not want to follow it in general. And I was reading something today where city council is. Going to be reviewing the effects of this bylaw, and it seems like it's it's ranging from neutral to to negative. Uh, the entire philosophy of government, like why does a city government believe they have the right to tell a business, you know, how much they should charge for a grocery bag? It's almost like it's something that would happen in a in a communist country. So, and I do agree what you're saying on the um, religious uh, outlook. I wanted to ask you, because you did mention, I believe you mentioned climate change. What is, what's your viewpoint on this current uh, struggle over uh, climate change and global warming? Um, because I'm an engineer, I remember many years ago, we're looking at, um, uh, APEGA used to send out these articles you know, in their newsletter. And this is probably over 10, 15 years ago. And it seemed like the engineers and the geoscientists and the geophysicists were split right down the middle. As to how man caused this global warming is and how much of it is natural. So it seemed like, you know, within the science community, there was a lot of conflicting uh, viewpoints. Um, What's your view on that? Is it worth the resources we're putting into it? Because the federal government is trying to push, I believe, net zero by 2035. And the provincial government is pushing back, saying, give us at least until 2050, because, you know, it's it's too difficult to sustain. Prices will be too high, especially right now with the carbon tax. What's your view on all of that?
1: Well, I, I well, I'm agreeing with you. I, I think that uh, you know, we, what did we start off? They told us it was global warming, and then we changed over to climate change. I think science hasn't got it down pat yet. They don't know what is really really going on in the world. Do we have our part to do uh, in the world? Of course we do.
0: Agreed. i mean you
1: know, god tells us to this is your world you take care of it you know everybody has a duty to uh make sure uh to keep this environment clean not for just our for me and you Sid, but for our children
0: exactly and for our the children's future.
1: children for the future we have to hmm. sustain the air the water everything but you know Going back to the plastic bag thing, you know, um, you can't help but to think it's a pollution tax, right? In right. a funny way, that they just want to collect taxes, right? I was at the store the other day and, and you know, she goes, oh, would you like to buy a, ba- a plastic bag? Or, or Sorry, a bag. Would you like to pay for a bag? She was asking me. And I'm looking at the items that I'm buying. They're all wrapped in bags. <laughs> Honestly, I'm sorry, you said, but that's, that's what would happen. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know. Maybe through some more education, like try to yeah. do it through education. You know, people can change. You know, hey, guys, it, it, better reporting, better facts. We have to try to do this, more encouragement. People can change. We don't always have to find each other. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? They always find, find, finding ways to take money away. Yeah. Maybe give an alternative, uh, you know, uh, biodegradable bags. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe at least give the stores that alternative. Maybe they can. Uh, you know this is what we'll use from now on yeah instead of charging right but yeah I, I I didn't think I don't think city council thought this out very well yeah and uh from the people I'm talking to also are um, are, are saying are very disappointed with that decision.
0: Yeah, and, and it's not just that. There's the whole idea of the 15-minute um, you, you know neighborhoods, um, the $100 million bike lane. I mean, in my opinion, save that $100 million bike lane and spend some of it to help the homeless population out. You know what I mean? Is spend $20 million on bike lanes in, in new neighborhoods and leave the old neighborhoods alone because they were not built to withstand bike lanes and spend the, some of the money saved on the homeless population. I mean- I believe there's a lot of questions that have popped up about the the current um, uh, city council. Um,
1: yeah, brother. The once again going back to media and, and leadership. Uh, I Mike Nickel ran um, against uh, Mayor Sohi, Yeah. And um, they vilified immediate. You know, put him down. They vilified him. He was up in the polls at one time.
0: And, I remember and then that.
1: Lost, you know. Um, and he he. There's a lot of things that we wanted to change. And, and I ran part of his team. Uh, and the things that they we want we want to reduce crime, you know. Um, we we look like, look at crime in today's world. I think a simple change, if we can go like you, you'll find policing today. Like so, for example, let's let's just talk about photo radar for a sec here. Also, another cash grab, yeah. in my my opinion. Agreed. Right? Yeah. Uh, and they had to get a consulting company and paid millions of dollars just to tell them. Yes, it is a, a cash grab, and you have to you got to paint the the cars yellow. You have to have an antenna and all that other stuff. So they made some changes, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know what would be more effective than that photo radar that truck placed in the middle? A police car, a actual police, police officers. Car. Yeah. No, a parked police car.
0: A parked police car.
1: And it doesn't have to be manned. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, psychologically, if you yeah, it's a psychological effect like. you put it there and people are driving by and they see that police, automatically they're double checking their speed, <laughs> they're making sure their seat belts on right and, and and all the way to their destination. Not just, you know, it's just a wake-up call. It, it triggers something. And no, you know, I gotta drive more safely. It reminds us, right? A photo radar truck, once we pass it, we continue speeding. It doesn't do the job. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, police presence, like you said, is a deterrence. Brother, I remember talking to uh, a uh, a junior high student in grade 12. No, sorry, a high school student in grade 12. And he was waiting at the bus stop. He, t- he told me the story. This was while door knocking. I, I met this uh, individual. And he was telling me how important police presence is. Uh, he was waiting at the bus stop. And three guys from a school were approaching him calling him on saying hey we're going to fight let's fight you know and one of them was pulling something out of their pocket all of, uh, suddenly uh, coming around the corner was a marked police car all of a sudden those three individuals you know uh, shifted their direction and started walking the other way yeah and lucky for that uh, student he said my the bus was coming i got on the bus and i was gone he told me i believe that that police car Saved me from, you know, having to fight those guys. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's an incredible story.
1: Yeah. Like it's uh, police presence goes a long way. Now they're all in these unmarked cars. You don't find police in marked cars anymore. Let's go back to the old style of policing.
0: You know, I'm a big advocate of, and I've always, I've been advocating for a few years now that we should have presence of police cruisers police vehicles in neighborhoods more often just doing you know the regular patrols and yeah. in in all the neighborhoods in edmonton you know like two times a day patrols driving around the neighborhood you you know you, you'd that would you like me as a member of the public seeing that it would reduce it would. crimes but it would also make a lot of people feel more comfortable and we need to get away safe. from this media idea that the that the police are somehow evil or something. Yeah, you know what? You'll you'll have you'll have a few bad police officers, but the majority of the of the police officers are truly here to serve the public. And when I see a police cruiser driving by in my in my neighborhood, it makes me feel comfortable. You know what I mean? And it is gonna deter crime. Maybe it'll even reduce some of these Cadillac thefts that are that are taking place but this is what we need you know we're raising children here and i've always believed it's our duty to leave this world in a better place for our children than our our ancestors left it left it for us so then our parents left it for us so yes we do need the role of policing to increase
1: yeah no it's um we, we we crime is a big issue and i think it's bigger than just uh for the people that are living here uh in edmonton it's people who are visiting Edmonton, don't want to come to Edmonton. Yeah. So in our funny way, look look at the, you know, we try to build our downtown area. We put millions and millions and millions of dollars in fixing the downtown area and hopes that people would be attracted to come to our city while at the t- while at the same time the crime is deterring people to come. Yeah. I remember I was yeah. talking to a cousin and he's in Ottawa and he says, are you guys okay there in Edmonton? I go, why? Yeah, we're doing great. And he goes, I don't know. This media is just reporting that, you you know, every day a killing or a stabbing or, you know. Wow.
0: Edmonton, wow.
1: It, it's got that reputation. Yeah, We got to change that. Yeah, it, it, You know, not only for, you know, the inhabitants that are here now you got to make it safe for them, but for other reasons, economical reasons and <laughs> increase our tourists and attract people to come to Edmonton and invest in Edmonton we got to change that reputation.
0: I truly believe that Edmonton is one of the most beautiful cities in North America. Um, It's actually also one of the largest cities in North America. We have everything here in Edmonton. We, we, you know, the weather can get very cold, but we also have great summer weather, you know, like Edmonton all around is a wonderful city to be in and we need to do a better job. And even bringing back the slogan, the, the city of uh, champions. Um, Ali, um, one of the final questions I have for you is, what do you think is going to happen in the next federal election? Who's going to win?
1: I, I don't know, uh, but I can uh, tell you who I hope w- wins. You know, And I hope it's going to be a conservative majority. I really do. Uh, I, I hope that it's going to be uh, elections. Brother, I've been in so many elections now. It's hard to predict who will win. It really is. Uh, you know, we we're talking about. I'll give you an example. We we're talking about plastic bags, and we're still what two years away from an election. If there was an election today, I don't think you know this current administration would win. But unfortunately, people forget, and they get used to it. And with everything that's happening and Trudeau's doing right now, and 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 his ratings in the polls, that can change tomorrow. You know, uh, so. Really, you can't predict how people will vote. Uh, we saw during the 30-day span there was times where we were thinking, "Oh, we're winning this. We got this. Uh, this is easy. This is ours," you know. And then all of a sudden, the next day, you're knocking on doors again, and it's like you're all depressed because of what people told you on the doorsteps. And it, it, it takes three seconds on the TV. If you could say, if you say one wrong thing, that changes the whole uh, way, uh, the whole way of how people vote. Right. So um it will shift the way that you know uh, they were going to vote one way and then something goes wrong or or, uh uh, media reports something that the conservatives say all of a sudden they're not voting so and we saw that during this last election
0: you know there there's one thing i i forgot to mention that i wanted to mention in that i'm not sure if you're aware of it but there is an effort, city council is looking at it to change the designation of the River Valley from being run by the local city to becoming a national park, being run by the government of Canada. And that has me worried. I'd rather have it under local jurisdiction and control. I'm not sure if you've heard about that, but it appears there's an effort now to turn the River Valley into like something like Bath National Park, you know, where it's under federal control. I'm not a fan of that. I wanted to stay under local control. Have you heard about this?
1: Yeah, brother. Listen, sir, brother. I, I'll tell you. You, you. I when I went to bat recently, I, I I was walking the streets. You know, every store you go to or every service you'll find they're all foreign workers. And I would ask why.
0: That is right. A lot of people from Australia actually come and work in. Well, Banton. not only Australia, British, uh,
1: yeah. from all over the world. Yeah you know and how much money is it making why would you want to give this beautiful economic development that you could have in your own control right here in our own city that can gain a lot of revenue why would you give it to the federal government
0: that's something people I, I need to be made aware of yeah
1: you can make that, be- that river valley beautiful yeah you know you can come up with a good vision for that river valley and i'll bet you you'll have people all over the world wanting to invest
0: yeah.
1: in Edmonton, would want to invest, you know? Yeah. Why would you go give it to the federal government? Why not take that money for our own city, for our own, uh, you know, we wouldn't even have to pay taxes anymore, property taxes, if if we gain enough revenue, yeah. right? But unfortunately, they don't, you know, this politicians in today's world, uh, they, they just say, well, no, we can't. Government can't run things. That's their attitude. Well, I, I think they're just incompetent. To me, you just want to pawn it off and give it to somebody else. Why would you want to do that? Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, um, I don't know. I mean, that's my opinion. I, yeah. I really think that we have a we're sitting on a gold mine. We just don't know how to use it, and we're giving it to somebody else.
0: The river valley is one of the most beautiful areas I've ever seen. I actually, in my entire life, I have never walked the river valley until about three years ago. And I did that walk, you know, forgot how many kilometers it was, but it was the most beautiful walk I have ever been on. So picture this. I mean, We can do so much with it.
1: Well, sure. You put ice cream parlors, you put, uh, you know, beautiful sittings, restaurants, stuff like that. People can walk. It'd be a main uh, place to go. Yeah. just to just to sit down and watch the river valley yeah like overlooking the, the overlooking the, the, river the just valley. watching the
0: river valley is you beautiful
1: know, you know one of the things i love going to McDonald's hotel for is that they have that balcony you know on the outside uh, balcony where they have that and you could sit there and, and sip on the, your favorite drink and just just sit there and and look at god's uh, creation you just sit there and and mesmerized by by the beauty of things it's hard to describe, but you, you know, you—I think you know what I'm saying. Yeah,
0: I totally know what Just you mean.
1: Beautiful, beautiful, and like you said, uh, it, it took you three years ago. How long have you lived in Edmonton? My whole life. Go, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, and, and I love I, it. I, I, I'm I'm going to guess that there was nothing that you know that took you down there. If you, now, if you put something like uh, uh, a business or uh, something that you you know that would take you downtown, and, and I think, you, you know, people, more people would go to the downtown yeah. area. And make I've actually,
0: River I've always wanted to do the River Valley walk. I just never had an, you know, real opportunity. And I finally went and did it. And it was one of the most beautiful walks I've ever done in my life. And I, you know, I think we should do everything in our power to prevent the federal government from taking it over. Now, Ali, I really appreciate um, your, your passion. We're coming up to the end of the episode. And this is the hardest question. Are you ready?
1: Yeah. Go ahead. Did
0: you, did you have fun?
1: While, what What do you mean? Today?
0: Did you have fun during this podcast?
1: Oh, of course I did. I, you know me, I'm a political junkie. I love talking politics, right? So, I mean, hearing other people's perspectives, also sharing my experiences and my perspective, I, I love it. So, yeah, I mean, when you gave me the opportunity to come on this podcast, <laughs> I, I jumped at it. I, I It was a privilege, trust me, and, and I was... Um, honored, uh, but uh, I, I'm, I'm a nobody. I've lost every election I, I went through, but at the same time, I do love politics and uh, if if I can run forever, uh, trust me, I would I just love door knocking. I, I know in your heart do you
0: want to make the change. I I know you have a good heart the right and you changes. really want right to make changes. the right changes. Yeah. And yeah. and Ali, you are a somebody. You're like you're very passionate about uh, this. Yeah. Thank and you. and yeah. I also, it's a privilege to have you join me for for this episode. Is there anything else that uh, we left out? Anything else that you wanted to share?
1: No, I, all I can say, know, uh, I'll end it with this. Um, I just hope more people get more involved in politics and vote. Honestly, I, I really do. Uh, you know, when you see um, the turnout, voting turnout, you, you just shake your head and say why. Uh, and, and also on the doorstep, I heard it too many times. People saying to me, you're all the same. I'm not voting. Go. They've I remember that. They, they lost faith in the system. Yeah. I, I just hope to God there's a way we can restore that faith uh, by being more honest, being uh, who we are, and, and allowing us to be who we are. Like in today's world, uh, people are uh, politicians are walking on eggshells. Yeah. Honestly, everybody's Agreed. reporting you. And, and what do you mean by that? Everything has got a meaning. You're not allowed to express your full uh, yeah. opinion on things anymore. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They've silenced us. Yeah. It's like you, you can't talk about this issue or this issue because this person gets offended or this person gets offended. Just because you got offended doesn't mean you're right. Yeah. Like I, I don't, you know, we gotta go back and 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 be honest with ourselves and and um be honest to the voters. Because at the yeah. end of the day, you gotta look yourself in the mirror and you gotta face those people. So I, I just hope, you know, both politicians can change a little bit and you know, voters would, would get out and vote more
0: wonderful ali that was uh awesome uh thank yeah, you very much for for being part of this ali
1: thank you for having
0: me okay man take care man take care
1: you too Bye-bye. god bless you Bye-bye.
0: god bless you too bye